0: Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. On today's episode, I sat down with Dean Wampler. He's an O'Reilly author. In fact, I learned the Scala programming language by reading his book, along with Alex Payne. He's also teaching a tutorial for us at Strata New York and Strata Singapore called Just Enough Scala for Spark. On this episode, we talked about streaming. Streaming. I've come around to the fact that uh, while most people talk about real time, most companies actually operate more on the near real time setting. And so streaming is actually a much more useful way of thinking about this problem. I hope you enjoyed the episode. So Dean Wampler, last time we were here, we talked a little bit uh, mostly about your work building data applications with open source components, but more recently, your focus has been on streaming. So welcome back to the data show.
1: Hey, thanks. It's great to be here as always, Ben.
0: So streaming. So why why are you suddenly interested in streaming now? Well, I guess not suddenly, but uh, you're much <laughs> more focused on streaming.
1: That's right. Uh, yeah, you know, there's two reasons. One is that it's, it's an emerging area where people are struggling to figure out what to do, make sense of all these tools. And it does also raise the bar in terms of production uh, issues like you know, a batch job, it runs for a couple hours. If it fails, you rerun it, uh, you know, no big deal. Or you know, I'm exaggerating a little, right? But a streaming job, you know, you might start this thing running and it's supposed to run reliably for months or, or whatever. So suddenly you're you're now out of the realm of the back office and into the realm of like the bleeding edge, always on you know, internet that uh, your, your distributed computing friends are fretting over all the time. So the problems are harder. And the last point I'll make is that it, it kind of, uh, streaming sort of fits the the model of stuff that Lightbend has traditionally worked on, which has been more, you know, highly available, highly reliable systems and tools to support that. So it's a it's a more natural fit than just the general data science, data engineering problems.
0: Speaking of which, so just a bit of background for the audience. So Lightbend used to be called Typesafe, and it's a company that was founded by the people who created the Scala programming <laughs> language. So um, Dean, when you say uh, your interest is driven by uh, what you're hearing out there. Is this uh, through your conversations with Lightband customers and Lightband field engineers and uh, other people that you run into at events and conferences?
1: Yeah, I'm kind of an omnivore as far as data consumption or information consumption goes. So yes, we hear it from uh, people that are customers. We also hear it uh, talking to people at conferences like Strata um, and watching the trends in the industry, like, the, you know, the growing interest of Co- in Kafka. And, you know, the the argument I make in this uh, uh, report that you guys are publishing for us is that part of the interest in streaming is driven by reducing, you know, uh, the time that you that inform the data arrives and you extract information from it. So you know, there's a competitive advantage if you can get information out of your data as quickly as possible. So that's another driver that you know, people are very concerned about that are trying to be competitive.
0: You know, I, I in my conversations with people, uh, I'm tr- I'm, be- I'm starting to make this distinction between uh, streaming and real time, where streaming is kind of this unbounded <laughs> data set. In real time, to me, connotes really low latency. It, it seems like that as you really talk to people, uh, most people are in what we would say the uh, near real-time realm, which you know, maybe they can get by with batch patches, right So every 10 minutes, every 15, every 30 minutes. In most business applications, that seems to be enough. What's your sense?
1: I think that's a really good point that, you know, you can drink the Kool-Aid and say, oh, I want to do the coolest new thing. But a lot of times it's overkill, especially, because, as I mentioned, you, you raise the bar in terms of you know, the, the hardening of your production system, recovery and so forth. So in a lot of cases, I would still advocate that people you know capture data and run small batch jobs when, when you know seconds or milliseconds don't count. And I do think it's kind of funny yeah i used to do like you know embedded systems years and years ago where you know people would worry about microseconds and milliseconds was a long time and a lot of people use the term real time these days for uh you know <laughs> times that uh, are really more like seconds so it, there there is a case of terminology can be mis- misused uh, I, I do think there's the, there is a spectrum, though. Like in, in a production system, there'll be a couple of cases where you really do want relatively tiny latencies, such as detecting problems in the system. The other case would be things like fraudulent activity of any kind, network breaches, you know, credit card fraud, whatever. Certainly, the sooner you can detect the problem and, and you know, respond to it, those, those kind of things are probably always going to be with us and always require you know, pretty smart, pretty fast uh, analysis.
0: But even with, in those examples you cited, uh, I think you're going to get by with a minute or two of latency even, right?
1: In a lot of cases, that's true, yeah. Um, certainly, if someone has a clone credit card, they can't run up too many charges in, in microseconds. So that's very much the case. So, um,
0: so having uh, said all of this, uh, then uh, where do these modern architectures of event logs and Spark streaming and similar uh, stream processing frameworks, why do they matter if... Uh, you're just doing kind of these small batches.
1: So there is a couple of other counter-arguments, and I think one of them is the simplicity of having a, a uniform model that treats everything as a stream, uh, independent of maybe how rapidly you process individual events in the stream or whatever. Uh, th- this is very attractive to me, just you know, knowing how com- complex things are more likely to break. Uh, you know, running everything through Kafka, even if you don't necessarily need you know, a quick answer out of it. It's a very simplif- uh, simplifying kind of architecture that, um, you know, has a virtue of eliminating unnecessary complexity, uh, even if maybe it's slightly overkill in terms of, you know, things like, well, maybe I could just write to HDFS and that would be good enough. Sometimes just having one backplane uh, actually does have an advantage. But then there are certainly some, you know, real scenarios where, uh, you would like to be able to analyze that data quickly. Or, you know, what's interesting, too, There can, you can take the same data stream and you may have very different kinds of analysis you want to run on the same data. Uh, so one, let's suppose, just for the sake of argument, that uh, this is data coming in from a, a network of IoT devices, Internet of Things devices. You might uh, do some very low latency handling to detect you know, serious problems that need very quick correction, maybe shutting down the device. Uh, you know, triggering alarms or whatever. Um, the, the the report is going to argue that, you know, use tools like Aka uh, from Lightbend for this kind of thing because it's very good at that kind of low latency event processing and, you know, complex event processing and so forth. So you might also take this data and run it through... Uh, or store it, say in long-term storage like HDFS, and then uh, update your machine learning models they are going to make recommendations for what the device ought to do. Maybe tomorrow, if it's like a, a daily cyclic uh, home automation system, or if it's a application that's making location-aware recommendations of things people might do or places they might shop. You know, you don't need to keep that model of what to recommend absolutely up to date at the second level that can be done daily or hourly or whatever. So I, what I find interesting with some of these architectures is that you, you feed the data into one uh, input location like uh, you know Kafka topics, and then you can consume it from you know uh, different downstream applications to, to satisfy different. Performance requirements, latency requirements, uh, sophistication of analytics, etc.
0: So then, uh, as as I'm listening to you, so the your the basic architecture seems to be a message bus like Kafka, and <laughs> then and then a stream processing framework that lets you uh, pull data out and uh, land it either in a data lake like HDFS or something faster an in memory or something faster like that, like Kudu or uh, MemSQL. And then uh, uh, maybe even Spark will let you do online machine learning, right?
1: Right, exactly.
0: Yeah. So then uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, message queues and event logs. So in your report, you uh, think of them as the core abstraction. Um, Mm -hmm. By the way, I want to give a shout out. I don't know if you follow them closely, but uh, MapR streams is also pretty cool, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, they're doing great work there as well.
0: Yeah, it seems like they took a look at Kafka, and there were just certain enterprise features that they needed, and they they felt like they could simplify everything, particularly as they moved towards this con- converged architecture. And
1: so they wrote their own kind. Yeah, of Yeah, I work. think it's a very interesting approach. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, right, right. the The only drawback, of course, is that they'll they'll always play catch up with anything Kafka. Ads that might be useful for them down the road. So that's always the, the trade-off for, for, with that approach. But yeah, they they do great work over there.
0: Yeah, yeah. But the, I mean, on the other hand, they they can go do multiple data centers right off the bat, right? Uh, yeah. And uh, in terms of uh, throughput, I think performance-wise, there uh, might be better. But yes. On, anyway, so but basically, the you have this abstraction of the uh, message queue. So what's great about these systems?
1: Right, so a couple of things that really appeal to me about this. One is that you get uh, a relatively straightforward and easy to comprehend uh, access model, you know whether you're putting data into it or extracting it from it. Um, in the Kafka case, I like the fact that it supports multiple consumers that can see the whole stream as opposed to uh, a lot of message queues uh, operate on a model where, you can have multiple consumers, but they're really designed to be just sort of parallel, stateless entities that take messages off the queue, but then they're no longer visible to other consumers. Whereas Kafka's model is, you know, this is like a log of events. Any consumer can see the whole log. That means we have to keep track of where you are in the stream and so forth. But it, it then supports this model I described earlier where I could have a, a wide variety of consumers you know, pulling off data for very different purposes, very different you know, latencies and so forth. And the other benefit of a tool like Kafka is that, you know, it's it's obviously very battle-tested, very uh, reliable. So if you have an ephemeral source of data, let's say like the Twitter firehose where you just can't go back and ask for data if you've screwed it up somewhere along the way, you know you get it into the, your environment it's captured reliably in Kafka and then if your spark job happens to crash or you found a mistake and you rerun it you know as, as long as the data has not been deleted out of Kafka, you can go back and replay it so yeah and that that I think that, that, uh,
0: that data retention capability is uh, something that uh, people really value yeah yeah so speaking of which actually the other thing I've been th- uh, thinking about uh, Dean is uh, when you get into the cloud so, you can take the architecture you describe which is the message bus stream processing and then and then various places to uh land your data or consume or your data for end users. You can take that in the cloud but now now you have a choice, right? So you can either use the infrastructure components you've come to love, let's say Kafka, Spark streaming, I don't know, Druid, right? uh mm-hmm. and HDFS or you can use managed services. Kinesis, EMR, right, and, and mm-hmm. these things on uh, Amazon. So there's a couple of arguments for for either side, right? So one is if you use the infrastructure components, obviously you're not tied to that cloud provider. Mm-hmm. You, you can go to another one. On the other hand, if you use the managed services, actually, I don't know if you've d- done some uh, investigation, but your cost can be much lower, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, but so you don't suddenly you don't have to... Uh, you're no longer responsible for infrastructure. You're just managed. You're paying for the service.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So what do you what What do you think?
1: Yeah, those are interesting uh, trade-offs. I think the idea of portability has has often been overrated. It's this argument we've had forever. It's always going back to like, should we you know, like have a portable SQL and not rely on a particular database? And you know, most of the time people don't actually need portability. They, they think they might and and there are arguments for it such as, you know, competitive pricing or whatever. But a lot of times I think you you can introduce unnecessary abstractions that don't actually deliver a value that eliminate the ability to exploit unique characteristics of a particular option. So I think that has to be really evaluated with a grain of salt and, and make sure that you, you're going in clear-eyed with the portability argument.
0: By the way, uh, um, let, let me just jump in here for our uh, listeners. Uh, I just want to uh, kind of uh, give some background here. Dean, before uh, Lightband, uh, was a, a consultant with Think Big Analytics. So he is uh, mm-hmm. speaking from experience here when he talks about these issues.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, working with a lot of customers. Yeah, you, do, uh, you run into things uh, that that are legitimate concerns, but sometimes things where people are obsessing over something that maybe isn't as important as other considerations. Uh, yeah, it's always it always is useful to be the devil's advocate for an By alternative. By the way, uh,
0: another thing about managed services—one, I think your costs can be lower, except for except for certain scenarios where you're really just kind of doing one-off jobs, right? So maybe uh, maybe that's mm-hmm. not the right uh, choice for you. But the other thing that they provide is, I think, because there are managed services, you don't really need to muck around with all these configuration parameters.
1: Yeah, I think that's a huge thing. We've seen this whole so-called serverless movement that I think is going to be very fruitful because it really does say, it really asks the question, how much can I offload to the experts and not have to worry about myself? And a lot of it Yes, there's there's really no reason why I have to necessarily be an expert in, you know, all, all of the infrastructure that uh, I need to do my data systems. I mean, there's a the flip side, too. You, you really can't be agnostic about everything. When you get to performance concerns, when you're thinking about costs, then you... S- you still have to understand uh, some of these characteristics and may have to do some custom engineering to meet some of these requirements. And the other thing too, is if you're if you're too ignorant about what's going on, you could be very surprised if this great service that you've loved suddenly catastrophically fails because you really had no idea what kind of guarantees they they claim to have and maybe maybe more or less succeeded or didn't succeed in providing. So, well, the yeah, cloud, i think the, the
0: cloud the cloud providers always uh, have some ridiculous ninety nine point how many nines do you need
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and certainly amazon is who are the you know the best in the business they've had some amazing outages at, you know like whole data centers and whatnot so it's yeah, you just have to be very clear-eyed and know what you can offload and what you really have to own yourself that you're is critical to your business, I think. But
0: so there um, is one scenario w- which people sometimes uh, bring up, which is, you know, if you look at a large enterprise, they may want to try several cloud providers. You know, I mean, cuz it's a mm-hmm. big it's a big company, there might be groups working in one cloud provider, another one working in another. Uh, yeah. So, that might be a, an argument for using uh, infrastructure components but I think at some point when, when you decide to move things in production especially for the for that message queue layer I mean it's hard, The Kinesis argument has become much more compelling I believe but I don't
1: I mean mm-hmm. I love Kafka too. Yeah, there'll always be this, well we should mention of course probably you know, I'm speculating here but I'm guessing Confluent will offer Kafka as a service at some point so maybe you can have your cake and eat it too as right. it were. Um, but yeah, but if I were designing an architecture like this, I would, you know, first say, can I just use one of these services? But then I would want to know, all right, what what am I giving up in terms of uh, locality of data? You know, what kind of you know, uncertainty am I adding in terms of network latencies and th- this kind of stuff? And, and so, and for a lot, like we were saying earlier, some things it just doesn't matter, you know, yeah. that you can afford a few seconds or a few minutes even. There'll be other things where I really have to own every single connection and to make sure it's, it's guaranteed to deliver the performance I need.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, so the trade-off being it's, you're not responsible for hosting and maintaining a cluster. You're just subscribing to a service that, but then, uh, Yeah your hope then is that they keep adding features to that service right which uh, which the cloud providers right now because in, they're in this competitive environment seem to be
1: doing yes yeah yeah exactly i think too we'll also start to see higher level services emerge I, one that i've thought about a lot is there's a lot of just uh, common patterns in extract, transform, and load (ETL) that really ought to be services that are you know kind of at a higher level, integrating this database with you know this processing tool or whatever. So I think we'll see a lot of that too. That where the implementer can then handle some of these performance concerns and and offs while you just focus on the you know the very high level domain logic that's required for your ETL problem. So. I think that'll be another thing that it's sort of along this trend of moving things into the cloud and offloading expertise to the vendor.
0: Yeah, and maybe maybe uh, you know solution architects can truly emphasize building solutions rather than architecture.
1: <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: So another thing you write about is streaming engines because there's there's uh, uh, so many of them, right? So yeah, I think it's fair to say in the open source world and you know i'm again full disclosure i'm an advisor to databricks the company that created by the people who created spark i mm-hmm. think in the open source world spark streaming is probably the most popular at this point right yeah i think that's absolutely true yeah 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 but so what did, what uh, what are your thoughts in terms of streaming engines and uh, how people should uh, think about these?
1: yeah i i think um we're we're kind of seeing the same sort of Cambrian explosion of, of different options like we saw with uh, NoSQL databases in the early, you know, aughts, 2000s. And a lot of these will fall by the wayside, I think. There was a blog post recently about this laundry list of Apache projects alone. Um, so I, I think what I encourage people to do is... First, make sure you're picking something that really has a vibrant community like Spark, where it's clear that it's going to be around for a while, that people are going to keep moving forward. But then make sure you understand what the strengths and weaknesses of the system are. You know, today, Spark is essentially a mini-batch engine, even though they're kind of evolving away from that to, to enable more low-latency scenarios. So if you really do need low-latency processing, then you're going to have to bring in a, at least a second engine, whether it's a you know, more general-purpose engine like Akka for processing, or it's another stream data engine like Flink, uh, that's obviously going to make your environment more complex. I should mention Kafka Streams is another option, too. uh,
0: just give a shout-out to Twitter's Heron, soon to be already open source, and Apache Apex.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and there's just a bunch of, and a lot of them are probably really, really good engines. You know, whether they'll gain the market share that they need to be, you know, good choices for the average user. That's that's always the but, big question. But I
0: guess I guess the key to what you said is you have to get to a point where you can justify bringing in a second engine on top of Spark Streaming. Yeah. Right. Because uh, maybe your scenario can be covered by Spark Streaming.
1: That's right. Yeah. So I would, you know, if I felt like, oh, my gosh, I've really got to have something other than Spark, I would first step back and say, all right, do I really require something that Spark can't do? Uh, can I, are my requirements really that firm or, or am I just kind of making assumptions Um because then I could sem- keep my architecture simple by having one tool. But but if it really is true that I need more, then I'm going to have to make an intelligent choice about what to bring in as a second. And yeah, hopefully I, not. I, a
0: th- I gave a keynote recently on, uh, on a variety of things. And one of the things I talked about was uh, streaming. And then I had this funny slide where I had uh, one of these tables, right? So the different features you want in a streaming engine, latency, always consistent, out-of-order data. And then you have, Two columns: my engine, your engine, and then my engine has all the check marks. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. Yeah. Because I, uh, I love these blog posts that uh, all these people put out, right? So, and then recently, right. actually, uh, I think the more the more interesting thing for streaming for me now is we recently did this uh, data-driven study of the big data landscape uh, with our partner SpiderBook, where they essentially crawled. The entire internet and found out how people are using these things yeah. and, and who are using them, right? And in the streaming case, they found that, you know, I mean, while a vast majority of people who use streaming data are remain data engineers, there's really a big group of people who are not data engineers. They're data scientists or business analysts, right? So then yeah. I think actually, uh, uh, one of the things that the Spark community correctly decided on is, you know, maybe we should focus on making our API better so we can uh, address those users, right? So so now with their structured structured streaming, they have an API that can support people who use SQL, right? So R and data frames and Python and Pandas.
1: Yeah, really good move, I think. It kind of goes back to what we were saying a minute ago too, like, Remove what expertise I have to have. I want to focus on my domain problem. Don't make me be an expert in like distributed computing or writing you know Scala data flow code or whatever. Just let me write what I know how to write and but but do what I need to do.
0: Yeah, so then uh, what uh, uh, in, in terms of uh, what kinds of things do these streaming engines lack, and what do you think they should still work on? Is it mostly on the usability and simplicity side at this point?
1: Yeah, a couple of things. I think that, um, you know, historically, and by historically, of course, in dog years, I mean, just the last few years, I guess. But like, if you looked at Spark streaming and the evolution it's gone through, there, there was a lot of, you know, sort of, uh, I want to phrase it, I don't want to insult anybody. But you know, it, it wasn't quite as rock solid as it could have been out of the shoot. I mean, this, again, the streaming is a hard problem. You're going to run into issues when you're building something new. And, and you know, they you ran into those kind of typical problems so i think uh, robustness do
0: do, do you remember sharp
1: yeah exactly (laughs) yeah yeah so robustness and just reliability are extremely important or even sometimes just being honest with people about what they can expect and but can't expect from your your system can be you know a step forward so at least they're clear-eyed about what they're getting into so i think there's always work that can be done there because these systems do raise the bar at production needs but um I think, yes, uh, making them easier for non-developer experts to use. Uh, and also, I guess that uh, it's exciting to me, uh, we, we've talked, one engine we haven't talked about that's hugely influential right now is Apache Beam, you know, the former Google data flow, and which is defining really kind of the state of the art for streaming semantics that are still correct, but, you know, handle cases like late arriving data and all that. So I, I think, you know, evolving that thinking Implementing it in all these different tools that are trying to be compatible with that system, but at the same time making it approachable to you know relatively novice data scientists or engineers that uh, you know, aren't aren't the experts. I think these are all areas where we still have a lot of work to do.
0: Speaking of Apache Beam, we have a Apache Beam tutorial by the people by the Beam community, uh, mostly people from Google at both Strata New York and Singapore. One thing yeah. about uh, Beam, it seems like it's still very early on. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it's mostly uh, Google Dataflow people and Flink people who are involved with Beam at this point. Is that correct?
1: That's my understanding. I, I, there's also another engine called Gearpump out of Intel, and I think they're working on supporting running Beam uh, defined data flows as well.
0: Yeah, so in terms of simplicity, I love the the way the the Spark uh people frame it, right? So the simplest way to perform streaming is not having to mm-hmm. reason about stream. Yeah. And I think right. that I think that's going to be a powerful thing moving forward and then what uh what that allows them to do is then they have this API uh, and they can change the underlying engine on you if if they decide later on that lower latency is truly something
1: people like. Exactly. Yeah. Um I actually, think it's the right actually move, they sure.
0: wrote, they had this blog post, which was interesting. So Matei Reynolds and Michael Armbrust and, and TB had this blog post that was interesting where they started talking about all the things that are new in Spark Streaming 2.0, which is, you know, uh, they had this notion of prefix integrity guarantee, which is basically how my understanding is, which it basically means, you know, at, uh, uh, at any time, anyhow, your any time your data comes, if it's out of order or whatever it is, we guarantee you'll always get kind of the correct answer. And mm-hmm. and that seems to be something that they've innovated on. And at least based on their posts, you know this this uh, table that I make fun of, they're the only ones who have that check in that uh, uh, <laughs> in that dimension. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah it's a great example of solving a hard problem that you really don't want end users to have to solve over and over again. And most of them will get it wrong. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 So speaking of streaming, so I don't know if this is something you think about, right? So one of the things that, uh, to me always fascinates me about streaming is that, uh, the people who are involved with it, the data engineers, they don't prioritize kind of the more advanced analytics, right? So they're more into kind of, uh, Top N, average, simple counts, Mm -hmm. uh, but not so much online learning, online machine learning. So do you think that uh, it's just a matter of time as these engines mature that we'll have at least some libraries of algorithms that are uh, going to be easy for data scientists to use if they want to do real online
1: learning? Yeah, actually, I think that's true. That's one thing I did not mention when we were discussing things that could improve. There's, there's, uh, I've had discussions with people uh, in the uh, Flink community, in fact, who said, you know, we, we have uh, customers tell us that we they want to train their models with Spark and you know do scoring with Flink and things like that. So how do I get these models across these disparate systems? I don't know if that's really the right solution, but I do think that
0: that seems Two like much. probably like an make... odd combination cuz once you get to scoring why do you need flank
1: right i think yeah i think there's <laughs> again some people who want that extra you know 100 oh, milliseconds I or whatever oh, yeah, 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 yeah. so so like you know i make the model then the next event that comes in i want to train with that new model or score with the new model but anyway, right, right, right. yeah. No, I, I think two things will probably drive this to to fruition. One will be uh, just competitive advantages. People will always look for that edge that gives them the advantage over, you know, their competitors. And machine learning is emerging clearly across a wide spectrum of of environments as one of those competitive advantages. But the other thing, too, going back to what you were saying about Spark streaming, is if you make something easy for people to use, then they'll use it and exploit it. So I think if once we solve some of these problems of making machine learning accessible, making online uh, training in particular work and, and, you know, just drop in work, uh, then I think people will exploit it. And, yeah, and yeah, the, and and hopefully succeed with it.
0: Yeah, and I think basically, I think my understanding is around Spark two point one, you'll start seeing some of that work. Based on my conversations <laughs> with the Spark uh, architects, but also as a sneak peek, uh, Holden Karau of IBM is giving a talk at Strata New York about online learning using Spark. So basically, yeah. basically, she and her co presenter will uh, walk people through how you uh, how you go about taking your algorithms and making them online now with the caveat that not all algorithms can be turned into online algorithms
1: right yep um definitely
0: speaking of which so another thing you're passionate about is teaching people scala and Mm -hmm. uh in the upcoming strata conferences in new york and singapore you've graciously offered to teach a tutorial called just enough Scala for Spark. So how much yeah. Scala should I know for Spark?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to try to teach you all you need to know in three hours, which is kind of a <laughs> tall order. Uh, <laughs> no, I I think uh, if, in my view, uh, no tool highlights the advantages of Spark of Scala and hides the disadvantages of Scala better than Spark does. When you're writing, and really I'm thinking more of the old RDD API than kind of the newer data set API, but when you're writing uh, effectively what are data flows in in Spark, it's just a natural, very elegant way to express them when you use the Scala API. I think even even more expressive and clean than the like the Python API, which is you know, historically very concise and, and great way to write data science kind of apps. So I think it's certainly a light bend. We've seen that big data and the the fact that it's been used a lot for tools like Spark and Kafka has driven interest in Scala in general. So it's A couple of things then came together. There were a lot of people who were actually starting to use Scala for the first time because of Spark and wanted to. You know, didn't really want to become Scala experts, but needed to know enough to uh, be productive, but also learn some of the cool tricks that make it so elegant. So that's really the genesis of this um, uh, tutorial that I'm going to give, and and we're also working on uh, the uh, video training for O'Reilly on the same material, really designed to just you know avoid the sort of dark corners, just give you the key things that are really what are so useful, and uh, then you can take it from there.
0: So, you know, so I, I was an early user of Spark back when there was no PySpark. So <laughs> uh, it got me to learn Scala, actually. I mean, uh, I used your book as one of my resources, but now I'm kind of booked on Scala. Uh, cool. <laughs> but on the other hand, what, hap- what about being, uh, so we talked about Python and And Scala, but what about community of Java programmers? Do you think that a course like this would get them enough information to kind of start considering Scala?
1: I think it would, because Scala is close enough to Java that you can pick it up probably more quickly than you can with Python, although there's some constructs that aren't in Java that are in Python that you would then find easier to learn if you knew Python, (laughs) if you followed that. Um, I I would certainly encourage So a lot of Java developers are probably thinking, well, you know, now that we have lambdas, which is the anonymous function syntax in Java 8, you know, some of the arguments for Scala are less compelling because lambdas was like the, the worst problem that was a thing that was missing that needed to be added to make Java better. But I think there's enough left in Scala, and I'll just throw out a word, pattern matching. That's one of my favorite features that yeah. is really great for you know deconstructing like a record and pulling out the fields you want and stuff like that. Things like this really, to me, still make Scala a compelling argument. So I'm hoping that even the skeptical Java developer who's at Strata will say, you know, all right, I'll take three hours. I'll see if there's really anything here, if it's just hype. And I hope I convince them it's not just hype, that there's actually something worth pursuing.
0: So in your work at Lightband, do you encounter java folks who are uh, have expressed curiosity about scala
1: we do see a lot of people like this you know in general our all of our tools uh, support both java and scala equally you know we we've, we've we've said you know we're a jvm company we don't want to be you know just limited to scala so a lot of enterprises in particular will still use java because you know they decide it's, it's too big to take on switching languages but i have to say none of my Spark customers are actually using Java. They're all using Scala, or in some cases Python for engineering.
0: So I'm going to close with a couple of word uh, topic and word associations, just to throw you off and stump you. Uh, Both of which, uh, so the both of these uh, puzzles arose from things you yourself said during the first of our
1: conversation, right? So,
0: what about just enough Scala for Spark streaming? Is that even less
1: Scala? Uh, Actually, I think, (laughs) yeah. Well, you you actually sort of gave the answer, where which is that most people are still doing relatively simple analytics, and the hard problem is still the engineering. So I think the case for Scala is even stronger in that case.
0: So you talked about server serverless computing, right? So. Mm-hmm. What about serverless cloud computing? So what would happen to the cloud providers? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, I guess the, we have to stop somewhere. There has to be some foundation. Maybe we'll go back to hosted systems, but it's just one big, giant JavaScript program or something.
0: By the way, uh, speaking of serverless uh, computing, is this a trend that uh, you're detecting kind of outside of our geeky world, or is this a real thing among enterprises?
1: It does well, you know. I think uh, it it's closely tied to what to how much people are moving to the cloud, and that's still you know an ongoing process among enterprises. But it does seem that uh, people who uh, like fully embrace Amazon really get interested in Amazon Lambda, for example. So I think that's I think they'll follow closely, you know, uh, in tandem.
0: So finally, and closer, So we we started this conversation with streaming. So rattle off kind of the th- top three kind of streaming applications that you uh, encounter a lot these days?
1: Okay, Um, I would say the first one would be really kind of an old idea, which is, you know, very quickly uh, analyzing events as they come in for anomalies, for errors, and so forth, and then triggering alerts and whatever in response. Uh, so, So more traditional data analytics uh, certainly, there's a lot of interest in being able to keep machine learning models relatively current, and then score with those models. Uh, going back to this uh, discussion we had a minute ago about the maturity of that, and the last one is uh, just running basic aggregations over data that's coming in, uh, like you know top trending topics or uh, you know statistics on on running servers for dashboards and things like that. So those seem to be the most common scenarios right now.
0: So, so the, That last example, it seems like that, there you would have to do uh, streaming joins, right? So join, joining your stream with some static data set.
1: Often that's the case, yeah. Or, I mean, sometimes it could just be a stream of, like, let's say I'm you know, i just in the Twitter firehose. I'm doing some processing to just strip out the hashtags uh, or, or keep the hashtags. You know, that's data I could process just in memory. In, in a stream engine, that's just keeping it like a you know a, a list, of, like a priority heap of the top hundred hashtags that's just constantly evolving. So I wouldn't necessarily need to do a join of any kind there. But for for things beyond that kind of trivial example, yeah, I can see uh, especially for like reference data.
0: So by the way, uh, I just realized how can we talk about streaming and not talk about the Lambda architecture? So <laughs> what's up with the Lambda architecture? And I'm saying this as someone who. Uh, has hosted panels on it and uh, kind of has a blog post from Jay Krebs on the HAPA Kappa architecture.
1: So what's up with right. the
0: Lambda architecture?
1: I I really like Jay's argument that if you think of everything as a stream, even a finite stream for the case of a batch job, then you can eliminate the extra complexity of having essentially two tool suites, you know, one that does streaming, one that does batch. And then this view layer that has to know how to join uh, the the data coming out of both ends, which you know usually means some proprietary tooling or custom tooling. For me, that's the big flaw with Lambda is that often you end up implementing the the processing twice in these two different tool suites, and then the view part can be non-trivial too. I don't know if everybody, as we were saying at the very beginning, a lot of people are still essentially batch oriented and not really stream oriented, so. I would be inclined to say, if you can avoid introducing both, which, you know, the streaming engine part, the batch engine part, then that's probably going to keep things simple. If you have to have both, and can you do it all as a streaming architecture uh, and only then do Lambda? So I guess another way to put it is I think Lambda was a fantastic transitional architecture. I'm not sure I would consider it a long-term architecture. Compared to what we're doing right now with streaming engines.
0: By the way, just so, so this is definitely we're winding down here. So definitely mm-hmm. the close here. Uh, I just wanted to uh, tell the people out there, Dean is one of our valued members of the Strata Plus Duport Program Committee. And uh, actually, I don't know if you if you agree, but I've noticed that there's been a sharp drop off in submissions of lambda architecture, which is actually. I'm okay with that. It's good. Um, I think so, yeah. Yeah. So then I, I think actually next year, I'm hoping people will start submitting more about uh, cloud, the mm-hmm. way we talked about it today. So the choices in terms of managed services versus infrastructure or and how do you build, build these streaming architectures in
1: the cloud as you described it. So
0: anything else that you're interested in as, in terms of uh, seeing a strata next year?
1: So that would be really good actually as like especially real world stories of how people addressed uh, like performance issues or you know trade offs of different options that that would be very interesting to hear. Uh, I'm always interested to hear about how do we make uh, machine learning more accessible to the masses um, how do we uh, w- interesting applications that maybe aren't the sort of sexy things like image recognition or playing go <laughs> right, but right, right. just there's a lot of stuff where this you could use machine learning to just eliminate drudgery in, in sort of the standard way we build and run systems and I'd love to hear more about that too.
0: yeah and then in the context of streaming as we as we described earlier uh, online learning
1: we'd be interested in that. yes. Definitely.
0: Well, yeah. thank you, Dean.
1: Hey, wonderful to always talk with you, too.
0: You can follow Dean Wampler on Twitter at Dean Wampler. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe through iTunes or Stitcher or tunein.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode.